Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, as we've discussed before in this show, nature can have a very weird uh, but cool effect on our planet. Uh, one such uh, effect is the Coriolis effect. Here to explain what that is and how it affects our weather, as well as many other things, is Dr. Connor Sweeney. He's a lecturer in applied and computational mathematics in the School of Mathematical Studies at UCD. Um, welcome to the program, Connor. Uh, I've heard of the Coriolis effect and. And I, I'm not sure half of the stuff feels like it's a myth. Like um, I've heard, you know, it's to do with toilet flushing and uh, and the, the direction of, of the tornadoes. What is the Coriolis effect? It's a fascinating effect and it does confuse an awful lot of people. But a lot of people will think of flushing the toilet. I, it's really funny. It comes up in The Simpsons or in The Far Side or lots of different things. Um, the cool thing is from kind of a mathy physics point of view that actually... That's not true at all. The, the toilets, as far as I know, flush just randomly in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. Okay, so so there's no it, it which it just depends on the on the way the toilet bowl is shaped or something. Yeah, I know, and I'm sorry to depress you and all you had, and all your listeners who would be really fascinated about this, and it's a great thing to chat about in the pub. But no, it's got to do with just the random way you pull the handle or the, or the way the toilet bowl is made and whatever. And fascinatingly, you gotta love academics. Somebody actually got enough money to build a really precise bowl. <laughs> Uh, that was perfectly <laughs> polished and had none of these inaccuracies and they flushed it or drained it again and again and again and again and again as, as an attempt to show that it is just random and they find out that it, it is just random. <laughs> that must have been very disappointing at the end of it to go, I'm just going to prove that it's random. 50 flushes later, yep, it's random. Job done. <laughs> That's a good result. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it is, I suppose. So, so then, what is the Coriolis effect and how does it affect our planet? Yeah, so why everyone thinks these things is because it's really important when you get into larger scales. And so when you're looking at weather, which is one of the things that, that I work on, modelling weather, uh, it's, it's critically important. And storms, these large, low-pressure systems that'll batter, you know, Ireland, uh, do rotate in a different direction in the northern hemisphere than they do in the southern hemisphere. So a storm in Australia would go backwards, as far as we're concerned. And that's because of this thing called the Coriolis effect. Wait, so does northern hemisphere is clockwise? The northern hemisphere is uh, counterclockwise right. and the uh, southern hemisphere is clockwise. Okay. We call them both cyclones for cyclonic flow, but confusingly then the direction of cyclonic is different in the northern hemisphere in Europe than it would be in the southern hemisphere in Australia. And that's because of, of this Coriolis effect, which kicks things off to the side differently, depending on which side of the equator you're on. So w- what is causing this um, clockwise or anticlockwise motion uh, yeah. at, at either side of the, the equator? So th- th- that's a really good question. And it's one that I've been pondering how to explain on radio with, w- without a blackboard and a whole load of equations. But I think <laughs> a good place to start is probably um, if you're sitting on a roundabout in a playground and you're spinning round and round and round and round, everyone will know that you'll feel like you're being pushed away from the middle of that roundabout. And that's yeah. something that we call the centrifugal effect or centrifugal force. Um, if you were trying to throw, let's say, an apple at your friend that was sitting on a park bench, not in the roundabout, and you threw it straight at them, as you pass them, of course, it wouldn't hit them because the apple will keep on going sideways. So it'll veer off to the side as far as they're concerned. And that's a good place to start when you're thinking about the Coriolis effect. So we're all sitting on the Earth. So we think we're not going anywhere. You and I are sitting here in our chairs. But actually, the planet's rotating. So we're spinning around all the time. If you were sitting out at space looking at us, we'd be rotating away from you. Now, that has two effects. The easier one to explain is this idea of throwing an apple. So if you are sitting at the equator, then in one day you'll travel around 40,000 kilometers, which is the circumference of the Earth. If you got an apple and threw it up to me in Dublin, um, well, now Dublin is higher up 
in the Earth. So actually it travels less because it's at a thinner part of the globe. So we travel around 24,000 kilometres in one day. You're going 40,000 kilometres a day. I'm going 24,000 kilometres a day. If you throw your apple to me... It's going to go apple, on a curve. It'll go sideways because when it reaches me, it's actually still going 40,000 kilometres a day sideways. So from my point of view or from your point of view when you throw it, it'll go off to the right because yeah. it's going faster than the ground below it. Yes. Now, if you flick that and throw it at somebody in Australia, you'll see the little curve to the left. So it's really got to go with going from a thicker bit to a thinner bit of the planet. It gets really tricky, though, because the Coriolis effect also happens if you move sideways. So if we're in Dublin uh, and, and I throw an apple to you, but you're at the same latitude, then you might think, well, it shouldn't move sideways at all, right? Because we're still the same distance away from the centre of the merry-go-round. But actually, it does. And the reason it does is because gravity, what we think of gravity, which is what's sucking us all down to Earth, if we measure it here, it's not just gravity we're measuring. It's a combination of gravity and this centrifugal effect, the fact that we're on an Earth that's spinning around. Mm. And that means that the addition of these two is what we call apparent gravity. Now, if you start moving sideways, even at the same latitude, spinning faster, let's say, on the merry-go-round, that affects the counteracting force of gravity. So actually, it's not in balance anymore. And that means in the northern hemisphere, you'll veer off to the right. And right. in the southern hemisphere, you'll veer off to the left. Um do we need to care about the Coriolis effect when it comes to weather or, or climate? So in weather, in a weather modelling, and climate models are just weather forecast models that we run for longer with, with a bit more complications like uh, how things change at slow scales like the ocean and stuff like that. So, so the, the Coriolis, in terms of long-term Coriolis effect, is not of any interest to, to climate, so to speak? Certainly not in terms of climate. I mean, it's kind of interesting um, if the speed that the Earth rotates changes, which I guess it does, then that, in theory, will affect how powerful the Coriolis effect, because it's got to do with us spinning around. Right, of course. But that's only going to happen over really, really long timescales. So when we're looking at, let's say, the next 100 years, we just treat the Coriolis effect as constant, and we build all these things into our models uh, so that they behave in the same way, which is critically related to how quickly you're moving relative to how quickly the Earth's rotating. Okay. How did we figure this out? That's, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure how we figured it out. I do know that it's got to do... The, 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 thing, the thing that's really interesting is that you might get your head around the Coriolis effect and go, right, it's all got to do with the balance of us spinning on gravity, which it is, and it's got something to do with the centrifugal force. But the thing that really does my head in is that both the Coriolis effect and the centrifugal effect are, are imaginary. They don't exist. They're things that we made up because we're sitting on a planet that's rotating. And when we look at stuff, it's not behaving quite the way we expect. So we add on... It's based on, on sort of Newtonian, our understanding of simple basic physics. And we kind of go, oh, this isn't normal. Um, but it is very normal. It's just not what we see in our immediate that, life around. That's exactly it. And that's a really good way of putting it. So when Newton did the whole gravity apple thing, actually the gravity he was looking at was a combination of, of the, the real gravity and the gravity that we measure, which includes this rotating Earth thing. So if you're sitting out at space looking at Earth, the equations you'd use are completely different because hmm. you'd need to involve the fact that the gravity is the real gravity and the Earth is rotating. Whereas if you're a Newton sitting under an apple tree, you need different equations. Yeah. That's where the Coriolis and the centrifugal effects were built in. So, I don't know, did you read this? There was a talk about hair whorls um, in, in, in a people living in the Southern Hemisphere versus the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and the research was suggesting that um, if you lived in one hemisphere versus the other, the way your hair sort of um, twirled at the top uh, was to do with the Coriolis effect. Surely not. 
I, I, I'd be inclined to agree, yeah. surely not. Uh, it seems <laughs> so. As a quick way of thinking about it, and this this is true for the toilet as well or your bath, the Coriolis effect involves the difference on how far away you are from the center of the planet. And so the radius of the planet is, let's say, around six and a half thousand kilometers. It's not, but close enough. Now, if you're moving the width of your head away, that's not going to add much to six and a half thousand kilometers. So the effect is pretty much zero. And that's also true for your toilet or your bathtub, presuming they're less than a few hundred kilometers wide. If you were to throw um, a, a, a baseball, for example, from North America to South America, so that crosses the equator, um, would it theoretically do an S shape? Yeah, well, so what will happen is uh, as it moves south, it'll be deflected towards the right as it approaches the equator. At the equator, actually, there's no Coriolis and there's no Coriolis at the poles either because they they just act in a way that doesn't uh, make you change direction. And then as you go into the southern hemisphere, it'll start uh, going in the opposite direction. So you would get something that swerves one way and then swerves the other. And um, presumably this way, you said there's no Coriolis effect at the equator. That's the reason why... At the equator, we don't tend with these huge storms, they tend to break up. Isn't that right? Uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, there is no Coriolis effect at the equator, um, but the way these huge storms form around the equator, or what we talk of as the tropical regions between the northern and southern tropic, has a lot to do with evaporation and these big, big kind of cumulus thunderstorms that grow into hurricanes. And so technically, we never get hurricanes in Ireland because we're outside of the tropics. And to have a hurricane, you need really high sea temperatures, which we never get. What we get sometimes are what we call transitioned hurricanes. They they start off as a hurricane and they end up being what we call cyclones. Um, But around the tropics, the direction they rotate can, again, like the toilet bowl, be fairly random near the equator because the Coriolis isn't very strong. But... but, but, um uh, presumably, if you have a hurricane that is traveling in in one direction uh, and it passes through the equator, to, to to then turn the other direction, surely it would dissipate, would it not? That, that's a really good that's a really good point, and it doesn't happen very often. But there have been a few cases where this has has happened, where something will start, let's say, in the southern hemisphere, it'll build up enough energy, largely through the water vapor evaporating and condensing again. As it gets bigger, it'll start rotating based on which side of the planet's on. And then it builds up all this great momentum. Now, if it crosses the equator, it'll keep going in the same direction, which means it's going in the wrong direction. But again, a combination of it being so big and so powerful and Coriolis being quite weak near the equator, it means the Coriolis isn't important enough to slow it down. So it'll just keep on spinning around. Right kind of like a, a roundabout. It would take you ages to slow down a roundabout by just kind of blowing air at it, you know? It'd be right, a okay. lot more force than that. Um, there's a lot of talk about El Nino and uh, the um, the effects that this change between La Nina and El Nino is having on temperatures. Is is the, the Coriolis effect, does that amplify or, or um, have any effect on uh, the the sort of the weather that results are, uh, due to rising temperatures and the climate change? Will that um, make these sort of storms more powerful or less powerful? Does it have an effect on them? So the Coriolis effect doesn't have an effect on El Nino or La Nina because they're largely dominated by what happens in the ocean as opposed to what happens in the air. Um, El Nino has to do but Why with... does the Coriolis effect not affect uh, uh, currents? 
Well, the currents are more are more localized, and they're very strongly influenced by um, the the shape of the basin of the underwater basin and these dominant currents that we have. So we'll have these large currents. They're called ocean gyres. And they will tend to be in directions that are in themselves influenced by the rotation of the Earth. Um, but they don't affect El Nino and they don't affect the atmosphere because right. the air moves way quicker than the ocean. So they kind of have their different timescales that don't really affect each other in terms of rotation at all. Um, El Nino is quite a different thing. So El Nino has to do with the way that deep ocean comes up to the surface. Sometimes it'll come up quite quickly, in which case we're in a La Nina, or sometimes the winds that, that drive these low oceans to come to the surface, the winds will be quite calm. And that means the top of the ocean heats up more because it's not being pulled down to the bottom ocean again. And that has a massive effect on global temperatures. So last year, the hottest uh, temperature we've had in the history of instrumenting temperatures um, was an El Nino year, and that was expected. So before the year started, we, we could have said, climate scientists would have said, this is going to be a hot year. Um, what's interesting is what's going to happen this year in 2024, because we are in El Nino, but the models at the moment are predicting that the El Nino will die out kind of around the middle of this year. If right. that's true, then this may not be hotter than last year, which would be a relief for everyone. Uh, why is it difficult to predict when El Nino will die out? Is it not a regular enough pattern? That, that's a really good question. It's not. You may think that this is kind of like a swinging pendulum situation yeah. where it goes hot or it goes cold because it's got to do with the ocean turning over. But actually, it's quite complicated and intertwined that the way the ocean moves has to do with the way the wind above it is blowing. And predicting the wind months and months and months in advance is a very tricky thing to do. There's loads of people working on it because it is really important. So lots of, particularly in America and in Australia, they're trying to develop these great new models. But just like predicting the weather, you know, what your barbecue is going to be like in three months' time, we're not quite there yet with modeling. So the best we can do is give a probability when it goes that far out into advance. Uh, and at the moment, the probability is that it should die off towards the end of 2024. Dr. Connor Sweeney from UCD, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.